Likutei Sichais, Chelek Yud, Volume 10, Second Sicha for Parshas Vayechi. This Sicha is kind of a Rashi Sicha, but it's really primarily a Sicha that explains a very interesting saying of the sages explaining what something that happened in this week's Parsha. It's based on the verse 1 and 2 in chapter 49, Perik Memtes, Pasek Aleph and Beis, and the Rebbe goes into and gives us really insight, interesting insight into what Yaakov wanted to do when he gathered the sons together before his passing and what actually happened and why. At the end, the Rebbe will connect it to the Rashi what, and explain what Rashi does say and the choice that of, of Rashi's um, way of expressing that which he is quoting from the Chazal. The Pasuk says, Vayikra Yaakov al-Banov, Yaakov called his sons, Vayoyim alahem, and he said to them, Hey, Osvu, gather together, Vagid alahem, and I will tell to you, I will relate to you, that which will happen to you at the end of days. And then he continues, and he says, he um, Assemble and listen, hear me the sons of Jacob, meaning speaking of himself. And then he went on to tell them all the blessings and the prophecies of what will transpire with them in the future. So the sages tell us, and Rashi also more or less explains it this way, that what happened here is that Yaakov desired, because Yaakov, Yaakov had intention to reveal to his children as Kate's Hayomin, the end of days. But notice that it doesn't say Hayomim with a mem at the end, which means general, the end of days, which will meet, which means in the future. But Kate's Hayomin which is actually a quote from the end of the book of Daniel, of Daniel, the prophet Daniel, which is a direct reference to the end end of days, which is the coming of the Mashiach. However, say the Chazal, what happened was, and the Shechina went away from him. So the question is, from where is the proof? Where do we see in the Psukim? Where do we see in the narrative here that this is actually what happened. In other words, where is it evident here that this is really what happened? And perhaps, why can't it be suggested that when he said to them, gather and I will tell you, will be the end of the days, that, you know, the stuff that he did tell them, he actually did tell them many things that will happen in the end of days. So there are those Mepharshim that explain, because it says in the Pasuk, two gatherings. It refers to two gatherings that Yaakov instructed his children to do. It says first, gather together. And it doesn't say what for, right? It says gather together and I'll tell you, but it doesn't really say what he told them. And then immediately after it says, assemble together, come together again. So that tells us that in between the first gathering, so to speak, and the second one, something happened. And therefore he kind of, reverted to another kind of gathering, another kind of assembly, and he went on to tell them what he told them. That's what they explain. Okay? The question is, where do we see this in the Pshute Shomikra? It This tells us that, yes, something happened. Okay? Something was going to be said, but wasn't said. But where exactly can we deduce this? 
can we derive this from the Pshute Shal Mikra, that in fact, this is what he was going to tell them, that he was going to tell them something so amazing, something so deep, something so secretive as when Mashiach will come, when the end of days will be, and that it didn't happen at the end, and, and, and that, that, that this is evident from Pshute Shemikra. Now remember, the fact that Rashi does refer to this, the fact that Rashi does uh, inform us of this, tells us that indeed it does have a strong connection to Pshute Shemikra, and this is not merely just a medrash which is like indirectly connected to Pshute Shemikra. This has to be directly connected to Pshute Shemikra. So the answer is, because of these two expressions, because of these two simultaneous expressions, that first he tells them gather together, and then he tells them assemble again. So therefore we know that something happened here, that something transpired. He wanted to say something to them, and as if he was silenced, and he couldn't say it. And therefore he said to them, okay guys, come together, let me talk to you about something uh, different. Let me tell you just something in general of what's going to be, what's going to come uh, transpire in between now and then that time that I was going to reveal to you. But still the question remains, where do we see, where is the proof, so to speak, that what he wanted to reveal to them was so deep, was so secretive as to what we said, the revelation of when will be the end of days, literally when Mashiach will come. And the answer is based on Zoyer. The Zoyer explains that in the Torah, we find various expressions of speech, of talking, of relating something. In general, we find the Lashon Dibur, okay, which means speech. Sometimes we find Vaidaber or Vaadaber, and I will speak to you. Sometimes we find Amira, saying, and sometimes we find Haggadah, which I guess means relating relating a story, relating a narrative. And the Zoyer explains, and it's not important to get into detail exactly how this connects, but that Dibur means something that comes from the mouth, meaning something which is more external, something more superficial. Amira is already something more pnimi, something which comes from deeper within. That is something that comes from the heart. And a Haggadah, when you say relating something, that comes from the, de- the depth of the deep, meaning that comes from the inner part of the soul, so to speak. That is something so deep within the person, or in the case of Hashem, so to speak, within Hashem. What is the difference? Because remember, something that comes from the mouth could be absolutely superficial, and it can actually be something that's disconnected from the inner person. The fact is that a person can sometimes say something that they don't mean. Or a person can say something that they know is not true. That means in their heart of hearts, they know it's not true. And therefore, they know that's not the reality. That's not something they agree with. And yet, they can say it. Something which is an amira, which comes from the heart. Again, it's deeper. It's within the person. It's more sincere. It's more real. But yet, it's not the ultimate. Why is that? Because we do find that there are times, we even find it in halacha, that a person can actually want something in their heart, or they think, they believe that they want something, this is their desire, but it's not their true self. And the case in point is the the halacha that the Rambam brings, that in certain mitzvahs, it says you can force a person until he says, until he agrees. 
something, there are certain mitzvot that has to come with a person's consent. A person has to want to do the mitzvah. But if the law obligates that the person has to do the mitzvah, then what Bezdin does is they force the person. They can even sometimes go as far as inflicting pain on the person until the person is coerced into saying, I want. Once he says, I want, then immediately you can do the mitzvah and it is a full-fledged mitzvah and it's considered like he actually wanted it to be done. And it gets done with his full consent. And the question is, is that his full consent? He said he doesn't want. He didn't want. He was very stubborn about it. He had to be punished in order for him to finally say the words, I want. So the Ramam explains because the will that he had was really not his true self. That was his external part. That was, in, in terms of chassidus, his nefesh abamis, his animalistic soul. That was the part that covers up on his godly soul. But deep down, in his true essence, in his true existence, he wants to do what Hashem wants, right? Because his true essence, his true existence is consistent with Hashem's will. So here you see where even Amira, which comes from the heart, could still be at some level, is still something superficial. However, Haggadah, the, the Zohar says, is million the chukmasa. These are words of wisdom. It comes from the, de- the depth of one's intellect, of one's, which is the soul. And therefore, and therefore, whenever the Torah knew, uses the, the expression, that Hashem was magid, Hashem related, or that a person relates, you know that it comes from deep within. Now here we could understand now the proof from the actual Pasuk, the indicator that Yaakov was about to reveal to them something extremely deep, something extremely secretive. Because when he said to them, hey Asvu, gather together, he didn't say va'adaber, that I will speak to you, or va'oymar aleichem, I will say to you, he said, So it already hints to us that there's something extremely deep that he was going to tell them. However, the question is, the second part of what the Chazal tell us. It says, And the Shechino disappeared from him. It went away from him. And the question is, really? What did he continue right there after? He continued telling them words of prophecy. He told them what's going to be in the future. So it's clear and obvious that the Shekhinah was with him. So how then do we say the Shekhinah went away from him? And why use this expression? Why didn't it just say, He suddenly, it left him. He didn't, re- he didn't know any longer. Or it was sealed from him. It was concealed from him when the end of days will be. So the Rebbe says that actually he did know. He did know. And he continued to know even after the fact. It's just that the Shechina, what does the word Shechina mean? When we speak of God, for example, we speak of Hashem, Hashem is all over. But sometimes we refer to Hashem's presence as the Shechina. What does Shechina mean? Something that dwells, something that seeps within, something that becomes infused and in a real way in the presence, in the place, in the time, and so on. What Yaakov wanted to do is take it from the knowledge that he has from within him and infuse it into them, so to speak, bring it into them, that they should be aware of it, that they should absorb it, that they should know it. And therefore the Chazal used this expression, this term, that the Shechina, the ability to be in it in them, the ability to infuse it in them, that disappeared from him. He felt like he cannot do it. He doesn't have that power. Question still remains, 
It didn't say, doesn't say Vinistalka Shechina, that the Shechina disappeared from him. It says Vinistalka Mimenu from him. In other words, it seems to be indicating, it seems to be telling us that there is also created a certain deficiency, not only in the situation, but Mimenu from him within him. And the question is, how did this affect him? Why did this affect him? The answer is, but because he got together with his sons, he had them gather around together with him. He became connected to them. He is the tzaddik. He is beyond and above, above and beyond them. But at this moment, at this juncture, he's connecting with them. He's trying to connect with them. Since they were, they were not eligible. They were not capable. They were not on the level of receiving this information. This actually caused a deficiency within him. In other words, yes, it affected him adversely. It affected him negatively because of their shortcomings, because of their inability to receive this information. It brought him down. The question is why? If this is the case that it brought him down, because they were not ro'i, they were not fit, they were not suitable to receive this information, they were not on the level as Yaakov imagined they were, and it turned out they weren't, then how come only at the moment that he connected with them did he become deficient himself too? Did it bring him down? Did it pull him down? It should have been all along that he shouldn't even, even have had the thought, the idea, the intention of sharing with them. In other words, he should have realized from the get-go that this is not possible. In other words, it seems that initially he had, he felt like he had the power to do so. He felt like he had the ability to pull this through. It's just after he came together with them, suddenly, whoo, like the ear was let out out of his balloon, so to speak, and he cannot fly. The explanation for this, and we see a parallel to this, is with Moshe Rabbeinu. Although they're different in some ways, and it's not important to get into the details of it, but in general, there's a strong similarity, there's a strong parallel between Yaakov and Moshe Rabbeinu. What do we find by Moshe Rabbeinu? At the events of the Ego, when the Jews commit the ter- committed the terrible sin of the golden calf, where was Moshe Rabbeinu? Moshe Rabbeinu was in the highest point possible. He was in heaven together with HaKadosh Baruch Hu receiving the Torah. And suddenly God turns to him and tells him, by the way, your people sinned. It's terrible what's going on down there. And then Moshe takes the luchis, he takes the tablets, he goes down, he ascends the mountain, and the Pasuk tells us that only when Moshe came close to the camp and, quote, he saw the eagle and all the dancing and all the festivities around it, that's when suddenly his hands became so heavy. Meaning he had no longer the power to carry the luchais. The spirituality was just sucked out of him. That energy. And therefore, he threw the luchais down and he broke them. And the question is, Moshe already knew that this happened. These were Moshe's people even before he descended the mountain. When he was up there, he already was told by Hashem, what better proof, what better testimony do you need that this is indeed the case than Hashem himself telling you? I think he can be trusted that this is what's happening. So Moshe was certain that this is happening. He's going down this mountain in his mind, he knows what's taking place. And yet it didn't affect him. Only when he came close to them, when he connected to them, that's when it had an effect on him. Likewise here. Yaakov perhaps 
when he was remote from his sons, when he was not yet connected, he wasn't together in their presence, in their aura. Even though, indeed, they were not at that level, but from his perspective, his power, his spiritual energy was intact, was full-fledged. It's only when he connected to them did it actually bring him down. And that's why the Chazal used the expression Vinistalka Mimenu Shechina. The Shechina disappeared from him. Not only did the ability to convey it to them disappear, but even in him, it affected him in a negative way. The question now remains, okay, this is what happened. But why is this story being shared with us? This is part of the Torah. This is part of the Parsha that we're supposed to learn and live with. The question is, if this is what happened, and at the end of the day they did not receive this message, then why even tell us about it? What is the value in us knowing that this is what happened? The answer is, and once again, we find a parallel with Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu, it says in Parshas Veschanon, Veschanon al Hashem he he begged, he pleaded with Hashem, over 500 philos in order to do what? He said, Hashem, please let, allow me in and I should see the land. And the explanation the Chazal tell us, that what he wanted to do is not for himself. Moshe wasn't about himself. This wasn't a selfish, albeit a, a religious, a spiritual selfish request. No, this was for the Bnei Yisrael. What Moshe wanted to do was infuse in them the ability, the possibility of seeing godliness, of appreciating godliness on the level of re'iyah, of seeing, which is greater than hearing. Hearing is something which is distant and superficial. You don't actually absorb. You don't actually fully and absolutely connect to the thing as when you see it. So that's what Moshe wanted to affect. Although his wish was not granted, Hashem refused it and said, no, if anything, you'll see it from a distance. You remember he told me you can go up the mountain and see it from a distance. And the question is, so nothing came out of this? And the answer is no. We are told, the Medjish tells us that actually, although he did not receive his wish, his request, it was not fully fulfilled, but yet at some level, he was able to infuse the Jewish people with a level of appreciation of godliness, which is borderline re'iyah. A lower level of re'iyah, of seeing godliness, a more superficial one, what's called a re'iyah makifis. However, at some level that they were able to see godliness, able to appreciate godliness more so than they did up to that point. And that throughout all the generations, even with all the darkness that's around us, a Jew, when they really set their mind to it and they, they, they invest their time and effort in learning about godliness, they're able to appreciate it at a level which is close to, or if not, at, at least, or, or in actually more than that, at some level, a level of re'iyah. Albeit, not a re'iyah pnimis, a fully and absolutely internal one, deep one, like Moshe wanted. Likewise over here. What Yaakov wanted to do was reveal, for them, reveal to them the kates, when Mashiach is going to come. The end of darkness, the end of Golis, the end of uh, enslavement, so to speak, by the, by, by the Yitzhahara and by the powers of Tumah. 
that he was not able to accomplish. What he was able to accomplish is that he gave us the power. He gave us that deep energy, that potential, that whenever a Yid really sets their mind to it, and a Yid really makes the effort, a Yid is able to reach that Kates. A Yid is able with his Avoida to reach that Kates, A, eventually, that at least, that our Avoida should count and should be meaningful enough that it can lead us and it will lead us to come towards Mashiach, which will be the ultimate redemption that Yaakov had in mind, that he intended to reveal to them, but also on a personal level, on an individual level, that each person could affect a minor redemption in their own life. When they set their mind to it, Yaakov did accomplish this, that we all have that spirit, that ability of redemption in our lives. Now this brings us now to the Rashi. And it's a very short, there's only one chapter that the Rebbe actually addresses the Rashi. Rashi in general does bring this, this uh, saying of Chazal, this Medrash. Rashi says, He desired to reveal to them the end. Notice he doesn't use the end of days. And the Shechina went away from him. And he started saying other things. So Rashi has three changes, which are not major changes, but they still, each one has a reason, has a meaning. Number one, Rashi doesn't quote directly the Chazal where it says, Abikish legales lebonov, that he desired to reveal to his sons the end. Rashi just says, Bikish legales, he wanted to, de- he desired to reveal. And Rashi leaves it to us to understand, to reveal to them, to his sons. Why did he omit this word lebonov? So the Rebbe said, this is obvious. Because in Pshutei Shemikra, if you look at the Dibur HaMaschal, you look at the heading in Rashi, the heading in Rashi is Va'agid Alechem, and I'll say to you, so it's already obvious in Pshutei Shemikra that he's speaking to his sons. So there's no need in Pshutei Shemikra to quote that word from the Chazal and say he wanted to reveal to his sons. He's talking to his sons, and that's what the Rashi is about. Number two, Rashi omits the word, and as I pointed out already, the end of days. He just says the end he doesn't say the end of days. Now this is very interesting, because if you recall, I pointed out in the beginning of the Sikha that there's a difference between Acharis Hayomim, with a mem at the end, and Acharis Hayomin. So this difference is highlighted in the Chazal, that he didn't just merely want to tell him what will be in the end of days, meaning in the future history, but rather that he was specifically trying to tell him Acharis Hayomin, Borrowing from the Sefer Daniel, which means the end of days, the end when Mashiach will come, the Ketz. Since this is something, this difference of nuance between Yomim and Yomin is not, it's true, but it's not something which is really plays a role or is really obvious in Pshutei Shemikra, therefore Rashi omitted it. Because remember, Rashi always keeps it simple. Rashi's objective is just to get us through Pshutei Shemikra. And... And, um, and, uh, and, and, and have us understand basically what the Pasik is saying. And then the third cha- difference in Rashi is, Rashi says, quote, he started saying to them different things. Other things. It's obvious. I mean, look at the next Pasik. You see that he started saying to them the brachas and the prophecies of the future. So the Rebbe explains, because this whole idea, this whole explanation from the Zoyar about the difference between Dibur and Amira and Haggadah, it's true but it's not something that plays a role in Shuddha Shemikra. 
And therefore, Rashi didn't want to go into the nitty-gritty of you know, what he meant to reveal to them and what in fact he did reveal to them and the difference and so on. So therefore Rashi said it more like in a platitude, just very general, and he said to them other things. And now we come to the ninth chapter in the Sikha. It's quite a long Sikha. And that's the Hoira. The Hoira, the, the lesson for us from this Sikha, from this whole, whole discussion, is that, you know, when a Jew finds himself or herself in a difficult situation, we find ourselves in the darkness of Golos. And a person can become chas v'sholem, a little hopeless and feel a little sense of despair. How? how now Mashiach is going to come? Now is when we're going to have the revelation from all times? And for this comes the lesson that yes, Yaakov infused us. And when I say us, he gave it to his sons then. And we all inherit this power to reveal the Ketz, to bring out the end, to bring the time of Mashiach, like we explained in the Sicha. We all have this ability, we all have this potential, and we're all able to do it, and to reveal, reveal means bring it out. Now, when do you need to reveal? When something isn't revealed. That's when you need to go and reveal it. Meaning that in the darkest of times, we have the Koyach to reveal, to bring it out. And this explains also, especially, what the Chazal say, that ain't that the Mashiach Mashiach will come with the absence of the mind. So what do you mean by the absence of the mind? If you think about it, that's the one thing that we're always constantly thinking of and talking about and davening for in every tefillah, in every celebration, in every observance. It's always about Mashiach. So how will it come from absence of mind? It says, the absence of mind doesn't mean that we're not thinking about it. Absence of mind means when the mind tells you it cannot be. Like we just said. It's such a dark time. We are so much less and so much lower than all the previous generations. Now Mashiach should come. In other words, when there's no logic, there's no sense, that it, there's no way that the mind can wrap itself around thinking that now from all times Mashiach will come. That is the lesson. That is the message that Yaakov gave, wanted to, and like we, like we concluded before, earlier, Yaakov in fact, gave us this ability, infused us with the power, legalis is a case, to reveal the end, even in at such time when it seems like it cannot happen.